0: This evening I'm going to talk about uh, ethics, meditation and wisdom. And uh, this is one of those teachings that's often known in the Pali, sila samadhi panya. So often in the Buddhist tradition you hear people talking about this. So sila is the ethical part of our lives. Samadhi means uh, kind of collected meditative calm and panya is wisdom a kind of lived understanding of things and so ethics meditation and wisdom and these are really the the buddha's recipe for a flourishing life so we often might ask ourselves the question you know what's gonna make me happy or what's gonna do it for me or what's going to make my life as complete and fulfilled as it might be And uh, it can feel very confusing and there can be all kinds of different answers or responses and we might try all kinds of things. And so it's quite helpful to have this framework to come back to. Uh, Not as a framework that we have to believe absolutely or say, yeah, this is 100% for me, but as a framework which helps us to explore our own lives and our own questions. Yeah? So, right at the beginning, if we uh, were asking ourselves the question, what brings a, a happy life? What brings a flourishing life? We might think of that in terms of uh, what kind of things outside myself do I need to get in place? Uh, what kind of combination of job and relationship and situation and friends and, and good relationships with family? What kind of uh, sort of configurations of conditions? Do I need in order to uh, to make me happy and peaceful? And here you can see that there's a quite radically different direction being presented. You know? So it's not that those things aren't uh, important at all, but that that whole project of you know what's going to bring me fulfilment isn't so focused on. Fixing things outside myself and just trying to kind of hold it together, but more looks to what we're bringing to life and yeah, what we're bringing to life. Yeah, we might call we might call aspects of our inner life. But again, as we've been exploring, that's a very provisional way of talking. What's in within and what's outside? What's to do with me and what's to do with my relationships? Is all very, very intertwined and interconnected. Okay. But looking at this possibility that a life of ethics, a life of meditative calm, and uh, a wise understanding, these are the keys to a flourishing life. So, this uh, ethical aspect of uh, the path can be seen uh, both as where we begin and as where we finish as where we end so living ethically living with integrity uh, living with honesty and kindness really helps the mind to calm and still it's very difficult to practice meditation if we've been you know, killing and stealing and uh, cheating all day you know and then we come to think okay now I'm going to have a nice peaceful state of mind you know it just doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. You um, know, uh, over the last few years, uh, one of the things I've been practicing with is, uh, is my speech, and uh, particularly sort of speech at work, and trying to make that come from a, a kind place, uh, which is uh, sometimes a challenge and a, you know, a struggle. But one thing I've come to trust more and more is that um, speech that we may call wise speech or appropriate speech has quite a distinct effect on the mind, as opposed to anything that, uh, you know, is more unkind or more, mm, more mixed with other motivations. So sometimes I notice if I've you know spoken out about something, but there's more some sort of malice, or uh, you know, even quite a subtle kind of wish to harm, perhaps in there, or. Uh, which sometimes manifests as a wish to be right you know <laughs> so less a wish to sort of really communicate and connect with others but a wish to say right i've got that i know what it's about and you're going to you're going to hear me you know that kind of thing um that when i speak like that that it, it unsettles the mind yeah so you can really begin to see this connection between living ethically and the effect it has on our own state of mind. And we can become more sensitive to that. So in that sense, ethics is at the beginning of the path. Living with integrity allows the mind to settle. But it's also very much the the end of the path. Because as the mind settles, as the mind becomes more calm, we're able to see more clearly. Uh, And that's the condition in which wisdom is born. Uh, that our wise understandings become deeper and more embodied and then they express themselves in more ethical and kind ways of being in the world yeah? so therefore it's, it's a kind of the, the outcome of practice as well as what allows us to settle and allows us to, to deepen yeah? so we can say it's both the ground and the fruits both where we begin and where we end the sense of ethics it 's really helpful not to underestimate how powerful kindness can be how powerful kindness can be if you imagine uh, times in your life when you've felt you know really fed up or in difficulty stuck, um, and perhaps you can remember that really quite small acts of kindness or apparently small acts of kindness from other people can be felt really quite deeply and just these little subtle actions that we uh, that we take in our lives, taking time to listen to a person taking time to check how somebody is taking time to, to help people as we can can be very powerful this uh, thing happened to me this week I've, I've just got a new computer by the way which is not the sort of thing people <laughs> necessarily always mention in these uh, talks but anyway I'm, I'm very happy with my new computer And uh, but I, I don't drive and it had been delivered to my uh, place of work actually on a day when I wasn't uh, due to work there I worked there part time and uh, one of my colleagues just said to me oh, I mean actually somebody phoned me up and said, you know, things are right. And she said, oh, I'll drop it off for you. And I was just really, I was really quite struck by that. I mean, you know, she wasn't going to the end of the world and she <laughs> sort of lives, uh, you know, roughly around that area. And uh, it, it wouldn't have uh, you know, taken up our whole evening. But it was definitely a bit out of her way. But it really, I mean, I really did feel quite, quite touched by that. You know, the element of just somebody looking out for you, somebody, uh, being kind, somebody considering uh, considering you is very powerful so notice we don't have to think of this as something heroic you know in order to live an ethical life I've got to give away everything and you know devote my life to other people all of the time in some very kind of obvious or dramatic way but these, these relatively small things can be really powerful And they're powerful in that sense when we receive those acts of kindness, as I did uh, this week. Uh, they're also very powerful for us when we, um, when we we act kindly, and the effect they have on our heart. And I remember another time being a little bit caught up with something. I can't even remember what it was really, but just, you know, you're sort of walking down the street and there's a bit preoccupied with something. And I, I saw a woman struggling a little bit with her... Laundry. She just had a couple of bags of laundry, and uh, and I, I mean, this is really simple thing. And I just said, "Oh, you know, would you like a hand putting it in your car?" And uh, in fact, she said, "No, I think I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. Thanks for for asking." I mean, this is a small incident, right? This is nothing big and dramatic, but I just remember that feeling that actually, what that had done is it, it had taken me out of that little world of whatever was going around in my mind. They said this to me or they shouldn't have done that or why did that happen or whatever. And there was just just that little moment of opening to others and that uh, confinement of the sense of self-preoccupation was uh, released in that. And kindness is very liberating in that way. It's liberating when we, we receive it and liberating when when we act kindly. I think in order to really make our ethical life real, it's important that it isn't based too much simply on ideals uh, ideals of how we should be. You know, one teacher says this you know, we all know what we're supposed to be like. <laughs> we're supposed to be this, and we're supposed to be that, and we're supposed to be something else. And uh, that can become quite uh, oppressive to us. Almost, as if we're constantly comparing ourselves to an ideal that we haven't realized, or we do a few kind things and then some, somebody you know, gets in our way and we find ourselves being irritable or snapping at them, or find ourselves having an argument with someone and we think, Oh, terrible, you know, it's all, I've lost it all, <laughs> or something like that. So then the ideal of the person we're supposed to be becomes a kind of stick uh, with which we beat ourselves. Yeah, so really watching out for that, making it real also means opening and accepting what we might call the shadow side of ourselves, yeah? the shadow side. So we all like to be seen in a particular way as a particular kind of person. But we can find certainly in, in meditation and in our lives generally that there may be all kinds of other things there happening that we'd perhaps rather not acknowledge or not know that they are going on. And it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking, well, in order to lead an ethical life, I've got to get rid of this. I've got to get rid of those unkind thoughts and I've got to get rid of my anger and I certainly shouldn't be having any fear. And then our relationship with our own inner experience is one of trying to get rid of things, trying to perfect ourselves and fix ourselves. Uh, that approach really just creates more struggle. That approach creates more struggle. You know, for some years, my um, my dad was a carer, so he uh, cared for another relative of mine. You know, who was uh, very sick, um, and you know, needed a lot of looking after. Um, and he had this wonderful book which helped him through this called The Selfish Pig's Guide to Caring, which I always really like. And uh, I think he found it very helpful. But one of the things it, it said that he told me about was that it, it talked about the thought that you'd like to push the person down the stairs. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, just to be absolutely crystal clear, if you, if you are caring for somebody, please do not push them down the stairs. There's absolutely no way I'm advocating that. And that's clearly not a not a thought to act out. But what is very helpful to acknowledge is just the normality of that kind of feeling. And what the book was saying was that in order to be a good carer, to use another phrase which I love from psychology, a good enough carer, you know, which again we don't have to be perfect. <laughs> But a good enough mm-hmm. carer that you, you need to be open to the part of you that finds it frustrating and difficult and wearing and the times you've had enough and you need to let that in as well you know otherwise we're stuck in this I've got to be perfect thing which is very very heavy very heavy thing to carry and we see this uh, Knowing and working with and accepting the shadow in the Buddha's own own life, um, on the eve of his awakening, he's assaulted by all kinds of things. So in the tradition, this is uh, personified. It's presented as a being called Mara, yeah? and Mara also has uh, a whole collection of. Daughters which he has to uh, help him as well try to sort of tempt the Buddha. And we can certainly see this as our, these patterns that come up in the mind the pattern that says, Who are you to be doing this? Who are you to be saying you can awaken? Well, Mara sending his daughters. You know, we can see these images of uh, sexual desire and lust and uh, all of the things that uh, trying to. Pull the Buddha away from his sense of being awake and alert, and the Buddha's response is to say, "I know you, Mara. I know you," and that's the liberating uh, perspective. Yeah, in in knowing these patterns, in being aware of these patterns, in making space for the patterns they lose their power to govern our lives. They lose their power to keep us spinning around and around. You know, so you can be caring and the thought says, I've had enough or, you know, I could just push that person down the stairs. And you know, it just arises and passes and you feel and you make space for your own frustration within that situation. So the way to really cultivate this ethical life isn't, isn't a sense of perfectionism or idealism or getting rid of all those difficult or unpleasant parts of ourselves, but of this spacious welcoming approach. So, just to mention one more thing about uh, the ethical life is just this sense of how much it, it benefits us and it benefits others sometimes we can think of ethics as meaning we need to sacrifice our own happiness, we need to sacrifice what we want in order to be good and ethical but really in this tradition we're really seeing how linked these things are how linked these things are and just think for yourself, reflect for yourself. What's it like to be full of anger? What's it like to be full of anger? It hurts, it's painful. You know, to be full of thoughts of wanting to hurt someone or full of thoughts of wanting to deceive someone. It's like a kind of junk food, really. Yeah, It's like a junk food. It's got its attractiveness, otherwise we wouldn't get caught in it at all. <laughs> there's something about it that kind of hooks us there It says yeah this is going to be nice but then you know a little bit like junk food it doesn't really nourish us deeply it can leave us feeling a little bit sick afterwards and the sort of attractiveness of it turns out to be illusory so the Buddha says no one who truly loves themselves could even harm another for they would be harming themselves and we can see that how Closely related are our actions towards others and how they affect ourselves. Are. So, this ethical foundation of non violence and integrity of simplicity. Was really, really helpful on the path of clear awareness and honesty. And as I was saying before, that helps us with uh, this aspect of meditative calm. Meditation, or in, in the Pali, samadhi. Samadhi and samadhi really means a, a kind of collectedness of mind, when we feel more gathered, more unified. And this practice of mindfulness can really help us to, to develop the meditative aspects of the path. And there's a, a quotation here which I'd like to, to share with you from Christina Feldman on, on mindfulness. She says, Mindfulness is not only a technique or practice, but is concerned with the quality of wakeful presence and the willingness to learn that we bring to each moment in our lives. It is saturated with sensitivity and curiosity, with the willingness to make peace with all moments and all things and the deep wish to be free wherever we are. Mm. I just want to explore this a, a little bit more. So, firstly, she says there that mindfulness is, is not only a technique or practice. Uh, this indicates a number of things. One, the way that it really flows into the whole of our lives. The whole of our lives. So, here we're encouraging you not to see just the sitting meditation or the walking meditation as the time to practice mindfulness, but also the times when you eat, time when you brush your teeth, time when you're walking down the corridor. It becomes a quality that can be there, you know, throughout our lives, mm. and is a real support in that. A real support in that. There was a time uh, a few weeks ago when I was uh, I was on a train in uh, uh, Birmingham, and uh, it was a really crowded train, and I was just going to get off this train. And um, I don't know if you've had that experience when you're not quite sure whether the people in front of you are getting off or not, you know, the really busy train. So probably without knowing it, I'd sort of edged a little bit too close to the guy in front of me. And uh, he turned around to me and he said, you know, hang on a minute, mate, I'm, I'm getting off too, I'm getting off too. And uh, it's just the kind of little bumping into each other that we have in uh, cities these days. And uh, just doing that, I could feel this, Sort of response to that, really. That you know, partly, wow, this is unfair. I didn't know whether you were getting off, and uh, partly the fight or flight mechanism beginning to kick in. You know, which is quite deep within us, really. You know, is this a threatening situation? Is this all right? How's it going to be? And my kind of heart began to beat a bit more quickly, and my sort of stomach was going a bit, and the thoughts were were racing away. Hmm. And just in that moment. You know, fortunately, we could say perhaps, or uh, you know, perhaps as a result of cultivating this practice, but you I know, just had enough mindfulness to be with that, to be with that, and notice it. Okay, I could feel that, I could feel the stomach going, I could be mindful of the thoughts, I could feel the heart beating faster, I could feel the sense that this wasn't quite fair, and just notice it and feel it. And that then gave me the freedom to respond in a different way which actually in this situation I, I just probably smiled politely and you know, followed him off. Um, but you can actually imagine, I mean interestingly just as a kind of thought experiment you could imagine a different response. Imagine if there were no mindfulness there at all and the, the heart's beating quicker and the stomach's going and things and the thoughts are going but you're not catching it at all. I mean, that's precisely the situation that leads people to act out. Who are you talking to? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And then all kinds of disputes and uh, things can follow from that. I mean, it's just a, just a one little example of how this quality of mindfulness is really in our lives. It's a wonderful support. It's a wonderful support freeing us from reactivity. You know? The kind of tit-for-tat thing that Chris was talking about earlier, you know. You've done that to me, I'm going to do it to you. It, it, it's something that, that allows things to stop. It's a very powerful quality of mind, not only a technique or practice. The quality of wakeful presence and the willingness to learn that we bring to each moment in our lives. Mm. And willingness to learn is is a lovely way to think about life, you know. I mean, again, you can have that you have that question, what are we here for? <laughs> you know, what are we what are we doing here? Um. You know, I'm not offering this as an absolute answer to that question, but certainly a helpful perspective is to, to say to yourself sometimes, you know, I'm here to learn. We have that feeling, I'm here to learn. And we can greet whatever experiences we we meet in that way. What can I learn from this? What's this telling me? And that actually allows us to, to be much more welcoming to a range of experiences because we can learn from all the experiences in our life. We can learn from boredom. We can learn from the times when we lose it. Uh, we can learn from, you know, times we're frightened. So mindfulness is saying, you know, what's this? What's this teaching me? What's this? What can I, I discover here? It's uh, an interesting thing doing this uh, meditation teaching, and I, I absolutely love doing it. But like anything else in life, if you begin to grasp it as an identity, you get into trouble. You know? <laughs> One of uh, our sort of the more experienced teachers said something to me which is very, very helpful. I always remember she said it's, it's like a role that you pick up and put down again. You know? So you're not carrying it around all the time. Um, and the reason I, I'm mentioning that is just again this sense of what can I learn from something? Because if you, you think of being, a I don't know what your image of a meditation teacher is, I mean, you, you may you may have one, you may not have one at all. But, you know, people can imagine, oh, they must be tremendously calm all the time and peaceful, and they, you know, they never have a bad day and, you know, all that kind of thing. So I notice when I'm having a bad day or when I've lost my balance a bit or I kind of, yeah, there's some, you know, some reactivity is there. In a way, using this perspective, the willingness to learn that we bring to each moment, so think actually again, you can change that that perspective so much rather from this shouldn't be happening, this doesn't fit my image, I don't want it to be happening, how can I get rid of it to wow this is this is something to learn, and for me um, interestingly, I think it you know. in in some instances something to learn about not buying into some idea of somehow being uh, you know being beyond all that which is possibly one of the kind of temptations of teaching meditation that you get these kind of grandiose ideas of yourselves and things like that yeah but that's just an example you know about something you can learn but but just notice what a different perspective it is from I'm here to have a lot of pleasurable experiences and then when things are difficult, they shouldn't be happening. But I'm here to learn. It opens things up with the willingness to make peace with all moments and all things, and the deep wish to be free wherever we are. So mindfulness is a very profound thing. To be free wherever you are, not to be free when you're on holiday or free when you're with your friends. Or free when you've finished a work. But free wherever you are. It's a wonderful sense of uh, possibility in that. So the meditative part of the path can include this sense of mindfulness. Um, And also includes what what is known as wise efforts. And this is working very creatively to bring about or uh, develop wholesome states of mind and to let go of those states of mind that... uh, that don't serve us so much. And sometimes uh, meditation can be quite an active thing. Uh, Often on this retreat, and on many retreats, we've been perhaps emphasizing so far the receptive awareness, so we can receive whatever's going on, we can be with what's happening. But it's also possible to be quite uh, interventionist, really, to have some... strategies almost, or some tools you know, to, to shift or change things. And this can be part of wise effort. Uh, I think I mentioned it to some people uh, earlier today, I mean you can do this kind of thing if you find yourself a bit caught up or obsessed with something and say, you know, you're walking down the street deliberately have it in mind to think what would gladden the mind now? What would gladden the mind? And, and actually looking for things that bring a sense of joy and uplift, and doing that quite deliberately. Quite deliberately tuning into an aspect of the experience that can bring pleasure or lightness. You know, so I, I've certainly done this. You know, walking along and feeling a bit caught up with something, and then thinking, "Okay, this, is, this isn't going anywhere." You know, what can I bring to bring some lightness to the mind? Then you just not, might notice that it's not raining. <laughs> you know. Okay, that's nice, it's not raining. And then I might notice a tree or you might notice some birdsong and you can take delight in that. If you're fortunate enough to be relatively well, then you can again rejoice in that and deliberately bring these things to mind. What we focus on so much is informed by the kind of state of mind that's there. So if we're very angry, we're kind of tuned just to notice things that are wrong. Um, you know, if we're very frightened, we're tuned to notice things that threaten us. So deliberately taking time at times to notice other things is really helpful in working creatively with some states of mind. It's part of this meditative part of the path, the wise effort, the wise mindfulness. More and more uh, this part of the path can also include uh, some you know, very still and collected states of mind you know, known in uh, tradition as, as uh, jhana states and uh, it's always a little bit tricky to uh, talk about these things because uh, the main thing that completely prevents them arising is uh, wanting them to arise um, but it's, it's also I think quite helpful to know that um, there are times in meditation when things calm down considerably uh, when our experience feels much more collected uh, when there can f- feel a real a sort of inner bubbling of joy um, and they can be very much part of the past I mean in this tradition they're certainly not the end of the path and one of the reasons they're not the end of the path is because they, they're conditioned, they change they come about in certain circumstances and uh, if we try to grasp them we get into trouble but this path and practice has does have different kind of layers to it different layers of depth to it And it is possible at times to touch these points of very uh, profound stillness. And the real point of them is what do we learn from them? What do we learn from them? If you had the feeling today of, uh, I don't know, let's say being, being fed up with something, and you might have, along with that, the feeling that this is who I am. You know, This is the kind of person I am. I'm, I'm a person who's always going to be fed up with things. Or this is a pattern that's always there. Or something like that. So these are times when that cools down. We may find that cools down a little bit. It may cool down a lot. It may be a very passing experience or it may be something more uh, stable. But those moments when the mind is more still really teach us that those more difficult states of mind are not our true identity. They're not who we are, any of us. I mean, I can really quite confidently say it's true for all of us in this room. None of us are essentially angry people. (laughs) I really feel that very confidently. Because anger just isn't, isn't that solid a thing. It isn't an identity for anybody. It's a pattern, it's conditioned, it comes and goes. Certain conditions trigger it, it's there for a bit, and then it comes and it goes. And it's possible for all of us, at times, you know, to touch into more still and uh, collected places. And they can bring some real confidence on the path. Confidence on the path. So, I've been describing the sense of living ethically, living with integrity, how that helps this mind- mindful living, yeah. helps us to cultivate this meditative aspect of the path with its wise effort. That can work with different states of mind, and at times touches into uh, more collected and and still, uh, still places. And this opens up the possibility of. Uh, Of a deeper understanding of ourselves, of our minds, and the world, uh, a wise understanding which is what is really liberating, what's really freeing for us. Um, notice any experience you have on this retreat or any other meditation retreat can't really, in itself, be freeing because uh, you know it's here when you're on retreat. Let's imagine that you. You had a really enjoyable meditation at 6:45, uh, and then when you go home, you know where's that going to be? Where's that experience going to be? You know, it might be there as a memory, and it might trigger a feeling of wanting it, wanting it back. But an experience in itself is not freeing. What's really freeing is the understanding, the the wisdom that we can begin to discover and deepen in meditation. And this uh, wisdom has lots of different aspects to it, but just one I'll mention is uh, a sense of the, the unreliability of things which change. The unreliability of things which change. So, I have a nice image for this. If you imagine a uh, a broken bike yeah imagine a broken bike and the wheels buckled and the brakes don 't work and uh, other bits of it are falling off. If you got on that broken bike and started to try and go somewhere you 're very very likely to hurt yourself you 're going to fall off you 're going to you 're go bump into the floor and you 're going to hurt yourself yeah. So there's something about a broken bike which is unreliable. It's not something to to get on. It's not something that's going to take you anywhere. It's not something you can trust. Yeah. But if you don't do that, if you don't try and ride it, if it's just a broken bike, then that's fine. It can't cause you any pain and suffering. And uh, the wise understanding we can begin to touch into in meditation can allow us to see the unreliability of so many of the things in our lives that we might try and grasp. We can, try, we can see them as being in some ways like a broken bike. Yeah. So what do I mean by that? I don't know. Imagine you um, are really looking forward to being promoted. It's the kind of thing we sometimes look forward to. You know, I'm mean, in a particular position at work or, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting the next job up and you might imagine how wonderful that would be or how great that would be and how you know, fantastic that's going to be um, but even if it is a wonderful job and I'm certainly not claiming that you know, on a relative level they're not lovely and, and wonderful and delightful things to do but that it's not a place to make an ultimate home because it, it's changeable You get that sense? But if we relate to life like that, this is what I want, I've got it now, I'm going to fix it. This is my well-being. Is holding on to this particular condition in this place, having a nice job. Then what happens when it changes? You know, your colleagues change, or uh, you're made redundant, or they have a change of uh, restructuring, and all the kind of things that can happen at work, and things like that. Then you begin to really struggle, really struggle with it. You know, we might do it with a, a relationship. And again, uh, you know, relationships are wonderful, uh, rich things in our lives. And I'm not for a minute kind of, I, it's quite important to understand, this. I'm not kind of down on relationships or saying don't have relationships or anything like that. But what this is a question of, and the wise understanding is where is our ultimate refuge? Yeah, where is our ultimate refuge, if you like? What's, what's really, really deep down reliable? And, uh, you know, relationships are, are wonderful things, but if we relate to them in that way, we're putting too much, too much pressure on them. You know, to deliver our kind of ultimate feeling of security in this world. Yeah. So, what we're beginning to touch into at times in this practice. You know, there's this feeling of being open to all moments, all conditions. Making peace with all conditions and in their their changing nature. And letting go of the, the wish to fix and grasp and cling and get it all secure and, and I've got it now. Because we begin to see that whenever we do that, it actually hurts. It hurts and whenever we do that we're getting on a broken bike and starting to ride and it's only a matter of time before we, we fall off so I uh, it's really yeah, really important to feel this as a a kind of teaching of, of profound joy actually profound joy <laughs> it's uh It's very hard at times not to make it sound negative, as if people say, Well, you know, relationships don't let you down after a while, and (laughs) jobs don't let you down after a while, and you know, family will let you down. And And that's not really what this is. What it's saying is that these things, because they shift and change and flow, that it's not helpful to lean on them too much, and when we do lean on them too much, it hurts. And that doesn't mean that we have to lead a, a resigned or depressed life that says, oh, you know, nothing lasts, oh, it's all hopeless kind of thing. But what begins to happen is we, we find a different, a different source of joy or peace that is, is much less dependent on conditions and that can be steady, you know, much more steady in the world. And interestingly enough, in, in that place, then, you know, then we do go out into the world of relationships and work and study. Uh, we find we can engage with that from a good, a good place because we're not asking more from it than it can deliver. We can engage with it from a yeah, a place of a, of a sort of inner stability. A sense of living ethically, living with integrity, helping us develop the meditative aspect of life and understanding things more clearly and living with wisdom in a way that uh, that then informs our whole way of life. So let's just uh, sit together quietly for a couple of minutes.